0: And welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that seeks out uh, the middle ground in the wellness world, or at least talks about it. (laughs) Tries to (laughs) attempts to seek out the middle ground. My name is Annika Buckle. My name is
1: Lee Freiling, and my name is Jenny Omani. If you are enjoying the podcast, we would really enjoy a five-star review and uh, some sharing, subscribing. We're on all the platforms. You can find podcasts, which you know because you're listening and therefore found it and downloaded it. But um, a little sharing is caring is always appreciated. <laughs>
0: um, okay, so today's episode is actually a little bit of a spinoff from a tangent we took um with last week's liver king episode you don't have had to listen to the liver king episode to listen to today but when i was researching brian johnson i will forever just call him brian johnson now aka the liver king (laughs) i discovered that one of the pivotal books for him in his journey was sally Fallon's book nourishing traditions subtitled the cookbook that challenges politically correct nutrition and diet dictocrats Which, as we discovered, (laughs) Lee previously has owned and read, and also just happens to be.
2: (laughs) And a little bit lived by for a while. Yep, totally.
0: (laughs) Also, just conveniently happens to be a fairly influential book within multiple areas of wellness, including roots at the beginning of the paleo diet, which we'll get into a little bit today. Um, just as your content warning, this episode is going to talk about food restriction and disordered eating patterns, as well as eugenics and racism and medical racism. So just a disclaimer before we start that if any of that is not great content for you today, there are always cute animal videos on Instagram. Just Please a few light, light
1: topics, light
0: topics today. <laughs> no Don't big deal. You, once you
1: time. bring eugenics in, it's all
2: downhill from <laughs> yeah. there, Some hey? A little <laughs> racism. It's fine. Yeah. Ugh, <laughs> gosh. Okay.
0: Continue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I'm going to outline what we're going to talk about today before we dive in. Um, because usually we kind of split it up. Whoever's leading the episode does their best to cover any source material, but because Lee actually has physical personal experience with Fallon's book and also given that it's a 600 page cookbook, we're going to leave covering the details within that book there. And what I'll share first is kind of what came before Nourishing Traditions was that there's just always something that came before. <laughs> yeah. Something had to inform this situation, yes. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to talk a little bit today um, about uh American dentist. They call him, they, he came from Cleveland, they call him an American dentist. Technically, he was born in Canada. I'm not trying to claim Oh, no. Him, but I just, <laughs> for, for the sake of correct naming, Weston A. Price was born in Ontario. Um, he wrote a book, yes, he was a dentist, we'll get, we'll get into that in a minute, but he wrote a book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, which despite some incredibly problematic racism that we'll get into, is a pretty impressive work considering the scope and the time. In 1931, Dr. Price embarked on a tour to, quote, observe local diets and health across the world. And really, when I say the world, like for 1931, this literally was the world isolated Swiss valleys, tiny islands in Scotland, indigenous reserves in Alaska and Canada, numerous Central and East African nations, South Pacific archipelagos, Australia, New Zealand, the Peruvian Andes. Considering he was almost 60 when he started and published the book with his findings in 1939, this is actually pretty impressive, keeping in mind this was pre-air travel. So this is boat, train, foot, animal, a truly arduous task. I was just going to say,
1: how the hell did he go from Alaska to Africa? I mean, I get tired thinking about
0: it and I am 40 with airplanes.
1: (laughs) I was just going to say, even with airplanes, that's a real journey. That's a lot of traveling. Yeah. Wow. So right. I mean, I feel you like know. this is the peak of our respect for
0: him, though. Okay? <laughs> credit where credit is due. <laughs> that that is an incredible journey. Okay, yep. yep. What's more questionable, of course, are not only his findings but his methods or lack thereof, and of course his ethos. I know we've harped on it before, but just gonna open with today's PSA: correlation does not equal causation. And not to spoil what's coming, but to summarize, kind of what I touched on last week when we briefly forayed into this. Despite the amazing travel. This is truly the story of a dentist attempting non-methodological sociology research and coming to nutritional conclusions.
2: Oh, that never
0: happens. (laughs) (laughs) He's the first and the only. So (laughs) we're Um, Right off the bat, there are a couple of things I find really fascinating about his research when we look at the wider context of the time. His work examined what he teamed the traditional diets of, quote, primitive persons in an attempt to understand the origins of disease again i will just remind everyone he is a dentist (laughs) um so first i find it very interesting that he came to these conclusions at a time when many academics around him believed the civilized world was collapsing due to race mixing oh goodness Oh he's doing this work at the absolute pinnacle of the american eugenics movement which sought to control the reproductive rights of persons deemed and i quote unfit to breed and to encourage the reproduction of persons deemed genetically superior oh god Mm -hmm.
2: okay okay a sidebar
0: if you're not familiar with the eugenics movement it's fucking horrifying but i'm going to do a quick summary of the american eugenics movement because i do think it's very relevant here again given kind of the soup he was in at the time and his academic buddies which we'll get to in a minute the term eugenics was coined in 1883 by francis galton from the greek word for well-born The idea was to improve the quality of the human race by encouraging the reproduction of humans with desirable traits and discouraging those with weaker traits. Unsurprisingly, after tracing the history of over a thousand members of his own family, he noted that while the poor continued to produce only the poor and uneducated, his own relatives were more accomplished. Stop he concluded it. <laughs> that some men were simply superior to others due to their genetic makeup. Ugh. Unsurprisingly, not due to the socioeconomic conditions, Victorian views about class. Nope. If you are rich, then you are simply genetically superior. The end. You know, the Habsburgs really rolled with this and it seemed to work
1: out really, really <laughs> well for that lineage. <laughs> if you're unfamiliar with the Habsburg family, they literally bred themselves into extinction. <laughs> Good
0: grief. <laughs> Yeah, real, um, no, zero red flags on any of this. Uh, So out of this came the American eugenics movement. So um, this was spearheaded by Charles Davenport and Dr. John Kellogg. Yes, of the cornflake. If you're going to boycott cornflakes, this or the Kellogg company, this is a great reason. Um, American eugenics, I can't believe that I'm going to say this, but somehow managed to take eugenics and make it worse.
2: Oh, I mean... (laughs) it feels like an American move to take something and it's it, it, like amplified in some way. So if it was already super bad, <laughs> sorry, Americans who are listening, I just, it tends to happen a little bit.
0: Sorry, my bad. <laughs> we we love you. Even if your, um, world history is maybe not, you don't always have the greatest record yes. in this particular example. It, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's true where British use focused on positive eugenics, so encouraging the breeding of desirables. I'm just gonna I have a really hard time with a lot of this language, but it's just the language of the context of the so uh, I'm sorry, time. I'm continually sorry. <laughs> um American eugenics focused on negative eugenics, essentially stopping the reproduction of undesirables via forced sterilization, outlawing interracial marriage, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. I mention all of this because this is the social and medical context that he is writing research within and as much as he starts to shift in some ways away from this idea that all social ills are brought on by genetic degenerates at a minimum I would say he challenges it he blames you know nutrition rather than genetics for some of you know, the health denigration that we see. It's important to remember the foreword to Price's book was written by Ernest Hooten, who helped develop the Committee on the Negro, arguing that Africans were more primitive than Caucasians and closer in physical and mental capacity to apes. Oh God. It's also to remember that Price quoted passages from Dr. Alex Carroll at the beginning and end of his book, who believed that the civilized world was facing an epidemic health crisis and financial collapse keeping in mind this is the 30s, brought on by the unrestrained breeding of defective persons at an alarming rate. I can't even say those words. It makes me feel sick to my stomach. Um, he was so concerned about this that he went so far as to suggest genocide using proper gases to deal with the problem, a solution that Price himself advocates for in his other writings. So wow. let's just remember this is the man that we're talking about. Great. Mm -hmm. Great. Great start.
2: Great start, everybody. We're (laughs) off to a real strong start here. Okay. Okay.
0: Nice, light, fluffy topic. Yeah. Super fun and easy. Um, So the second fascinating aspect of his research, this is where it gets a little bit less heavy. (laughs) Um, In looking at kind of the context is that the diets of the people that he studied were actually incredibly varied, which is really kind of ties to something that we've sidebarred about Um, he concluded that individuals displaying evidence of chronic illness and disease all consumed one or more of these three ingredients, vegetable oils, white flour, or refined sugar. So I think this is where this very heavy messaging around processed food and sugar are quote unquote, the devil comes from Um, their lack of access to modern food is one of the only three lines in all of their diets. So if that's what you're looking for, for proof, then it makes sense that this is the conclusion that you'd come to.
1: Well, and let's look at who's eating a lot of those foods at the period of time that he's studying it, right? Like who uses a lot of flour? (laughs) Well, and baking their own bread,
0: (laughs) right? Well, Well, and then this is the other thing within the larger context. This is just as people are starting to understand, realize, and be able to identify vitamins. So yes, I find it really interesting. One of the things that he like harps on and on about is like vitamin fortified butter, but like butter doesn't really have any vitamins in it. So even if you're like doubling the amount of the vitamins it has, like it's still not a lot, you know, one of the criticisms, many, many criticisms um, is the absence of reliable health data. So, from a fascinating rebuttal in 1981 in the magazine Nutrition Today, I'll link in the show notes, I'm just going to read this quote because it's it really sums up a lot of kind of what we're going to talk about, I think, later on today. Quote, the factor which lends itself best to perpetuating the myth of the health of the noble savage is the absence of reliable health data. These people know nothing of calculating birth and death rates, the prevalence of disease, causes of death among their tribesmen, and don't even often know how old they actually are. Very easy to kind of swoop in and say like, oh, look, this is amazing. Look, they have great teeth and everybody seems really healthy, but like everybody dies at 30 or. (laughs) Well,
1: it's like their infant mortality rate is.
0: They have no data collection. Right. (laughs) Therefore, they must be healthy. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) um and it's kind of this like the myth of the health of the noble savage that kind of is at the root of a lot of what we talk about when we talk about like ancestral eating or the paleo diet um but I really love kind of looking in detail about like I'm just going to use one example that I found um in like really picking apart part kind of the, the the fallacies and the conclusions that he comes to So the Maasai people are a really great example. He examines them physically, says they have great teeth, and therefore that they have amazing health because of their, quote, splendid nutrition provided by their diet of meat, milk, and blood. Only, it turns out they don't actually have splendid health. They, in fact, had a ton of heart disease. And according to a UN nutritional deep dive with actual statistics, meat actually wasn't a dietary staple and was only consumed very irregularly. So...
1: (laughs) I also just remembered he's a dentist. So of course the teeth. (laughs) Right. The teeth are the gateway to the soul.
0: Right. (laughs) I mean basically, right.
1: Bless him. Okay. Uh, So yeah.
0: (laughs) This starts to get at kind of one of the roots of the critique of Paleo as well. Um, namely ignoring ancestral short lifespans, high rates of infant mortality, malnutrition, endemic disease, etc. But before we start to kind of dive into that, I'd love to segue into the Sally Fallon book, Sally Fallon, that's fun to say, Nourishing Traditions, um, because it was published in 1995, which is kind of before this big push to paleo that we see in the 2000s. Um, So Leek, what can you tell us about this cookbook?
2: Yeah, so I came to know about nourishing traditions, I think if I think about it, probably right around the time that Wynn was born. So 13 years ago. Um, And that's when I was rolling pretty deep in like a very crunchy group of people. I was like very involved with La Leche League. I was very involved with sort of like crunchy mom groups on Facebook, like, you know, kind of all this sort of stuff. So um, one of the things that sort of like came into my awareness was this nourishing traditions book that everybody was like oh this is it this is the thing this is the next evolution of you know how it is that we're supposed to be feeding our kids and i think for me a big piece of this was coming on the backs of you know just the general hysteria around sugar right so sugar and little kids um you know some of it is, you know, a reasonable thing, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how much juice I drink as like a little kid, you know, like we were telling our kids today, the other day, like, oh yeah, juice was normal in the fridge. Like you always had juice in the fridge and they're like, you did. Cause juice is like a treat in our world. Right. And do you mean
1: juice or do you mean tang?
2: tang. <laughs> I <laughs> a mean, the stuff there? that was like a frozen concentrate oh, yeah, where you yeah, took yeah. the metal lid off yeah. and like yes. poured it in. And then those like- were the options tang or like juice from content. Okay. Carry on, carry on. Yep. So, you know, like I remember, for example, I mean, this is a little bit of like a, a tangent, but like when I was really, really little, I had to have like 12 of my teeth capped because I drank so much juice and also refused to brush my teeth when I was like a little person. And my mom Refused to fight with me, so instead I had you know pretty significant dental surgery, and you know when I was like three or four to have all these teeth capped because they were like literally rotting because of the amount of sugar I was drinking in juice. So you know there's a lot of sort of pediatric uh, guidelines that are around you know reducing j- juice or watering it down or whatever, just reducing overall sugar for like just general health. So at the time there's a lot of hysteria in my world around how much sugar your kids were getting and how it would affect their behavior, and so this particular book really aligned with that view, right? So the whole nourishing traditions gig is a serious emphasis on eating a lot of animal fats. So you want to cut out refined sugar, you want to cut out, you know, refined flour. Uh, if you have to use flour, uh, for bread, it needs to be uh, sourdough that's been sort of traditionally fermented and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and you want to cut out all seed oils, with the exceptions of, you know, th- the the odd use of, you know, properly prepared. <laughs> there's a whole lot of properly prepared talk in this. Um, you know, extra. <laughs> or as we like oil. to call them
0: an asterisk out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like,
2: you know, uh, you can use, you can use olive oil. Basically they don't want you using canola oil. They don't want using corn oil. They don't want using those kinds of oils. So the big, those are kind of the big bads, but you really want to be eating as much animal fat as kind of possible because it's quote unquote nutritional. Intense. Now I do want to just correct you a little bit there, Annika, when you said that butter doesn't have any, um, vitamins, um, butter is considered high in vitamin A, D something else, something else. I think K there's like a couple things that are like, it is, they say it's it's good for you, but also it's so high in calories yeah. <laughs> that like, you well, know, you're yeah. not going
0: to the amount that
2: you would need to eat to get that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, I mean, if you have a tablespoon of butter, I think it provides something like 12% of your daily RDI of like vitamin A. Great. Good for you, something like that, right? But no one's just going to sit down with like a block of butter and be like, "This is right. where I'm getting all my my calories or yeah. all my thing from." So the whole thing was, it was really rooted in a lot of all the meats you eat should be local, grass fed, and organic. There's high talk of like toxins and you know kfos and commercially prepared, like anything, anything like that, bad. Off the thing. Basically, you should be raising this damn thing on your own and then killing it yourself and like, I don't know what, doing the right thing with it, right? So loads of organic, grass-fed, local, humanely slaughtered meats. Loads of use of butter, tallow, um, and lard to cook with um, because these are all the superior fats, according to Sally Fallon. Um, loads of eggs, pasture-raised you know, free range, happy bird, dark yellow yolks. Cause they're so nutrient dense, blah, blah, blah. And then raw milk. So the whole overall emphasis in general is on really, really nutrient dense stuff. They want you to do a lot of lacto fermentation of vegetables. They want you to eat a lot of like, you know, kombucha drink kombucha um sourdough prepared things probably like Um,
0: sauerkraut and other like
2: loads of sauerkraut just to like really pack quote-unquote pack that gut full of good bacteria loads of like yogurt and kefir and all that kind of stuff that you're making yourself off of your raw milk so let's talk about raw milk for a second so we had a raw milk share which is illegal just so we're real clear. <laughs> this isn't a, th- a, isn't a thing anymore. Um, and this, came- oh, or maybe oh, it's it definitely is, but it's thing. just
0: underground.
2: Oh, oh, sorry. for Sure. It's a not thing. A, sorry. I should have <laughs> clarified. That's not a thing for us anymore. We're not yeah, doing this. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was actually a really interesting journey to learn about the raw milk sort of situation. Um, and how, it, how milk, changes when it is pasteurized so on and so forth um according to sally fallon pasteurized milk and rest a price pasteurized milk is basically like pure it's been like putrefied like it's not good for you anymore more or less and it kills (laughs) a ton of the beneficial enzymes yada yada that are all the way through it so like (laughs) e-coli well but here's the thing so here's the thing. <laughs> and this is actually from me interviewing at the time because I was very like, well, why is it that like everyone's so hardcore about pasteurization? So the big deal is, and this is kind of where the, the crux of the thing is, is that if you had like a family cow and were like cleaning everything yourself and making sure that everything is sterile and you put the milk into a sterile thing and brought it into your house, it's fine. Totally. Right. In the same yeah. way that like breast milk is fine, right? Yeah. The challenge is is that you can't necessarily ensure that level of cleanliness at a commercial level. Right. (laughs) So when you're doing the sort of like raw milk gig, which again, I don't do anymore. So we can just be really fine about it. Um, it is that situation. You have a family cow, it's going right into a sterile thing. There's no poop involved. Right. And what was really interesting for us is just noticing like if we had milk that just like sat in the fridge for a while, like we didn't get along, get around to drinking it, it never went rotten the way that pasteurized milk goes rotten. It was actually Mm -hmm. a really interesting sort of experiment Mm -hmm. to have this live food thing eventually genuinely turn into cheese Mm because that's actually what cheese is, right? As opposed, yeah. And it was like, not gross. Like it was a really interesting thing. Now, it's also full whole milk. So you let it sit in your fridge and you have an inch and a half of whipping cream on the top of it. Right. <laughs> I was gonna it's going to separate. Yes. It yeah, It separates, which I mean, you can buy non homogenized milk in the stores here. So you yeah, can yeah. get the same sort of thing. Right. So, you know, it was like this whole thing around like, okay, well, we're going to get the raw milk. We're going to scoop off the cream and we're going to make the butter and the butter is going to be like this rich orange color, which it was, and it's going to taste delicious, which it did. Right. So all of that kind of stuff was like a really interesting In essence, kind of an experiment. It was really fucking expensive. I had to drive really far to go and pick up my milkshare every week. And it was like labeled on the top, like not for human consumption. This is a cosmetic something, something, because it's completely against the law, right? Um, But I will say it was a really interesting sort of thing to engage in. Ultimately, it became just untenable for our family, which is kind of the thing about this whole lifestyle. Mm -hmm. This whole lifestyle is super... Money intense, time intense, cooking skills intense. Like, this is the lifestyle for someone who is a full time home- homemaker. If you are not a full time homemaker, you can do this and you're going to spend a significant portion of your all the time hours, like putting your carrots in a brine so it can ferment and getting your, you know, kombucha going and making sure you're sourcing the local grass fed meat from a cow share and, you know, getting your like raw milk and making your own butter. Like it has this very sort of agrarian utopia sort of feel to it, but in normal actual life, it's very hard to sustain. So I did all of this stuff while I was a full-time at-home mom whose whole life goal was to reduce our spending so much that I could afford to stay home with my kids longer because I was on an extended parental leave from my school. And no word of a lie, it was a major, major amount of my time to make all my own bread, to make all my own yogurt, to make all my own granola. Oh yeah. If you use grains, according to Sally Fallon, they should be soaked and then dehydrated so that you reduce the something, 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 something that makes them harder to process, whatever, it's really labor intensive. So when you're looking at just kind of like the food side of this, some of it kind of makes sense, right? Like when you're raising up little kids, especially uh, I make like sort of chicken wing little kids that are just like sort of tall and very, very skinny, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like I can't get enough calories into these children to kind of like plump them up no matter what I try. You know, there was some stuff around this that kind of made sense. Like I'm trying to put my kids on basically high fat diets in order for them to be plumper. But I have genetically skinny kids. Interesting sort of intersection. I was literally just listening to a podcast before this about the new American pediatric recommendations around obesity in children right now that are going through the States. And it's hard times, (laughs) right? Like it's like a hard, yeah, there are some of those recommendations are pretty major, pretty major. So, you know, my experience with this, Was did we eat really well? Yeah, we ate really well, and it was literally my full time job to do this. I spent
0: so much time doing this, like homemaking is already a full time job, even with modern conveniences, especially if you have Mm -hmm. children. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even you know, that it makes it even more untenable for I think probably most people from the sounds of things. Well,
2: for sure, and also you know, even just things like you know, when you are cutting out, especially refined sugar and refined flours. Um, try to like find a snack on the go for your hungry three-year-old <laughs> mm-hmm. who decides that they don't want to eat the
0: apple slices you brought them. Do you know I don't like I mean? apple like, slices and I don't want your homemade granola. Oh no.
2: Yeah. yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Like, like it was, <laughs> it, it was tricky in that regard. Now, I mean, we didn't cut out all of that stuff. Cause I was like, okay, this is, I'm pff, no, this is not, this is not a thing, but you better believe we ate crazy amounts of eggs and dairy and butter and loads of grass, you know, fed meats and you know, my kids probably were fine, but they probably would have been fine otherwise. I don't know. There's a big emphasis on like nutrient dense foods as opposed to what they call like nutrient deficient foods. Like fast food is apparently nutrient deficient. Anything that's been processed is apparently nutrient deficient. I mean, this is like kind of horseshit, but you know, that's that's kind of the view. There was also like a real sort of moralization. Right. Mm-hmm. Of like me being a better mom, because mm-hmm. I'm going to such extreme lengths to make sure that my kids and by extension myself and my husband are eating in this way that has been deemed better. And also like, Oh, it's exclusive know. too. Right. Like exclusive. You're
1: literally finding black market
2: milk, but actually, <laughs> yeah but actually black. And not only was I finding black market milk, I was paying through the nose for it. So I think Mm -hmm. I paid something like $20 for two liters. And this was like 13 years ago. Wow. So, you know, my kids
1: put two liters of milk on their Weedabix this morning. Well, right. Yeah. (laughs) I feel, you know,
2: they just pour. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I read the whole book I don't have it anymore. I must've lent it to somebody I was looking for this morning. I read the whole book cover to cover. Um, it was really interesting at the time, because you know what, I think a lot of this sort of like what they don't want you to know kind of information does is you're kind of like, Whoa, why don't I know about this stuff? And at the time, I didn't have the skills to be able to say, Oh, wait a second. She's citing, she's citing a study from like 1942. (laughs) Yeah. With like a five person (laughs) cohort. Yeah. Or even just like nowhere near the kind of academic rigorous standards that would allow for that same study to be published today. Right. Like I didn't, I didn't have the skills to sort of look at that now. I mean, is there something to be said to be for eating nutrient dense food? Sure should you eat vegetables that are like, you know, clean and delicious. Yes, you should. One of the recommendations is lightly steamed with butter. I enjoy my vegetables. I think that's how we do like 90% of the vegetables. We eat exactly. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, so, you know, I think along with most of the stuff that we talk about, there's always some stuff in there. That's good. There just is, which is why it gets adopted in the first place.
0: Totally. Well, and that's the thing. I think at a, the root, a lot of this is like, do I want, do I want multinational corporations to have a harder time selling things to children? Yeah, absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, I do. And
2: also, what I love for nutrient-dense, quote unquote, properly prepared foods to be accessible for everyone.
0: Oh my yeah. Goodness.
2: I would actually love for that to happen too, except guess what? That's not going to happen because it is so friggin' time and resource intense. Mm-hmm. And does that create this like, you know, additional separate tier of worthiness because
0: right. whatever you had the resources financial and time to right. eat better, quote unquote better. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, the big thing genuinely was time. It genuinely was time. It took so much time to cook like this, like Mm -hmm. so much time. Well,
0: and seeking out some of those like really specific ingredients, like you can't find tallow on the Save-On Foods.
2: No, like you have to make. You have to make. You have to make make tallow. You can't find
0: grass-fed cow brains in the meat no. section oh, of here.
2: God. No, you sure Ugh. can. not And did I go searching for that stuff? I sure did. It literally was my full-time job to like basically feed our family because that was the way me cutting our our grocery bill dramatically by making everything. I made all the pasta. I made everything for a full year was, was my job, right? But as soon as I went back to work, I was like, well- <laughs> back to store bread we go because who has time? Not me. I didn't have time then.
0: Well, and I think we've talked about this a lot, but this highlights again, this piece of like, when, when it is personal responsibility to solve some of these systemic problems, then we do get this two-tiered system rather than just making, you know, generally clean, happy ingredients, more affordable for everybody. Yep. You with time and financial resources can now be the one to seek it out. And if you can't, then that sucks for you and your kids that you're poisoning. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, totally. Exactly. Quote, and also, quote, I also had
2: a skill set, right? Like mm-hmm. I could read a recipe and go, okay, I can, no, I know how to make yogurt. I know how to make cheese. I know how to make all this stuff because I actually had the wherewithal and the tools to be able to do that. A, a considerable barrier to access for eating in any kind of way beyond convenience foods or restaurant meals or whatever is the fact that people literally don't have the skills or the confidence to be able to do the things or the tools, right? Mm -hmm. Like you need Mm -hmm. really good knives in order to like cut up all the, whatever it was, it was a lot. We ate really well. It was delicious. I also got like, I, I put some pounds on not going to lie. Cause you're eating that much animal. Yeah. Like (laughs) mostly just like a mom to a toddler and a baby Mm
1: -hmm. and not tending to a giant acreage farm feeding Ew. animals
2: hauling things yeah yeah oh, making I your sh- own hay yeah no up before dawn and d- to sleep after the, s- the sun goes down yeah no that was not my life that was not my life that's for and sure. you
1: know what i find so interesting about this is that so many of these things have that um that glimmer of attraction to it mm-hmm. that make people kind of really dive in. And even me who literally rolls our eyes at the sound of raw milk. Cause all I can think of is like, yes, of course. I just actually looked into all the sources of contamination for milk. Yes. And it's just as simple as there could be like a, a skin condition on the cow. Yes. So everything could be sterile, but if the udders have like anything, like it's, there's just, when you look at pros versus cons, there are so many cons and there are such uh, such huge magnitude and can lead to death and did lead mm-hmm. to a lot of it death. There's a reason why the dairy it's boards are,
2: are so hardcore about yeah. all of it, right?
1: Yeah. It like it's, a it's, why. it's a safety thing, but even that, like, and you guys know this, like we're re- we've gardened, we moved here last year. We had a veggie garden last year was a bad growing season, but this year I'm making it like a little project to grow as much of our vegetables for us to eat as I can just be not because there's anything wrong with the stuff in the store but like there's something attractive about that like I genuinely find it therapeutic yeah watering the garden and doing that stuff so am I gonna get obsessed with it I might because I'm gonna grow my own (laughs) seeds inside and they will therefore be an extension of me and I will take them very personally if they are destroyed by squirrels or you know not watered properly um but it's also I don't know. Like I can see, I can see the attraction to having that type of control. It's a control thing, Mm -hmm. right? Like I can see the attraction to that to a certain extent. In this economy, the reality is
0: happy, fresh food becomes less and less affordable. And especially especially in Canada with our grocery oligopoly, you cannot tell me it is inflation when you see the profits that I know. Anyways, yes. yeah. Gale yeah, and yeah, Gail and Weston pockets, but again, that's a random. but even
1: just day. stuff like when I went to, and you know, it's so funny this last week, I don't know if you guys saw it. There's this article that came out about how whole foods actually, isn't that expensive. Like it's this Was it's it sponsored by it. Amazon. <laughs> I actually would bet money that it is. <laughs> so I went to whole foods and a break between my daughter's tumbling classes because there's a whole foods there. And I'm not, I am not driving out of my way to get, I just needed milk. I just needed milk.
0: Well, and the cost of gas, you probably would have paid the difference. anyway. The
1: cheapest milk at whole foods. And I have, we have a family of five. My kids love cereal for breakfast, whatever your opinion of that is. And we go through a lot of milk and I needed a four liter of milk. The cheapest one I could get was $13. Oh, that was the cheapest option. And I was like, whatever, fine. And I got the $13 milk. That is exactly double. Of what the milk costs at our other expensive grocery store, like our local, like privately owned grocery store that's more expensive because it's not a big chain. It's six dollars. So no, I'm sure if I went to superstore, it'd probably be like I think it's four
2: fifty less than yeah. that.
1: Yeah, it's it's
0: less than that. Yeah. But like twelve thir- thirteen dollars, twelve ninety nine. Like okay. And you wanna tell me like that it's an accident that Jeff Bezos is about to be a trillionaire? Like it's just yeah. not. Like it's yeah. not none of these things are happening unrelated to each other (laughs) yeah so I can kind
1: of see how you go to the store and you're like well fuck I'm spending all this money for this um there's definitely a huge capitalism component to that Mm -hmm. like you could I could see how from both ends of the spectrum of thought Mm -hmm. you could end up reading that type of a book minus because most people aren't going to go into the background of the
2: author Mm-hmm. Do you know They're not right. They're well, not going to go. I certainly the, didn't. I didn't know the background of any of that. I just was like, Oh, no. what? Everyone says it's good. Should no. read. Definitely read. read, read you read, also, read.
1: Oh, you know, you also had that confirmation where you heard exactly what you wanted to hear. Quite. And you were like, I'm in, this is yeah. what I was looking for. I found mm-hmm. it. Here's a, a little step-by-step, but you can see how the people that are anti-consumerism on this one side that are like consumerism is BS. I'm going to go source this stuff myself because I don't want to contribute to it. Can end up on it? the same way as on the far other side where their government's out to get me and mm-hmm. I need to be able to, to, to like, you know, be on my homestead and live for myself there. It's, you
2: can see how the whole spectrum, you can find a place in there for this. So not only could you, can you see it? I have an excellent example of this. So this was also back in the day when I would literally drive to Puyallup in Washington and go to no, the Mother earth, mother earth news fair, like the fair, like the actual fair, not the magazine. The fair, right? Now, (laughs) it was fascinating. It was fascinating to go to, right? Like Because exactly what you're talking about, the intersectionality of all these types of people for whom there's something in this way of living appeals to was mind-blowing. So uh, Joel Salatin was one that we would go and see his talk. That's someone else we should do a episode on just- going to put that on the list. So we would go and see Joel Salatin, who was, you know, quote unquote, the revolutionary farmer. He, you know, he's the owner of um, Polyface Farms. He was one of these people who was really into sort of this regenerative farming um, sort of model of having like a chicken tractor go through your fields and like eat up all of the grubs and then poop. And the poop actually like, you know, uh, is the fertilizer for all of the, you know, stuff that then you're your grazing animals come through and eat really rich grass so that their meat, their butter, their, all this kind of stuff was all that much better. Everybody's happy. All the animals are happy. The meat is incredible quality, clean, yada, 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 right? He's, I think he's got a book called like the lunatic farmer or whatever. He's a really interesting guy. He's also a staunch libertarian, like super staunch libertarian, but his mm-hmm. practices would bring the people in. So we would go to his talks and you had every walk walk. Of life. You had the people basically walk in with their guns strapped to their back and their I shoot bucks and America guns, blah blah blah, t-shirts on. You had the local version of the Duggars walk in with their six <laughs> kids all in like you know, very modest. Yeah, You had literal, you know, Amish and Mennonite families coming in with like the, you know, the white things over the buns and, you know, the men with the beards, like all of that. And then you also had like the biracial lesbian couple with three adopted children tied onto their bodies, baby wearing with like dreadlocks and like, you know, like tie-dye clothes on. So you had the whole gambit of people for whom there was something about this way of life that appealed. And of course, this is one of the reasons why the radicalization that has happened over the last two years has been so widespread because there are some core elements that mm-hmm. do appeal to people who would identify as being super left, people who would identify as being super, super, super right. And then people in the middle who are maybe you know more environmentally interested or wa- wanted to figure out ways to like feed their kids in a way that wasn't so plugged in to just, you know, giving them like snack bars all of the time, right? There's something about it, but the people watching itself was literally
0: one of the best reasons to go. It was fascinating. It was so big fan of people watching. I
1: thought you were going to say you went to Puyallup for your raw milk and I'm a little (laughs) disappointed because now I'm like, Oh my
2: God, you were crossing the border with the illegal milk. Like, (laughs) no, 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 I went to like
0: deep Langley for my raw milk. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, Yeah. Canada border ah. services. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wouldn't Did have done that. Did you
1: disclose that on your Nexus interview?
0: I sure <laughs> didn't. Anyways, it was fascinating. So interesting. So, the, okay, this is really cool. Um, thank you for that, Lee, because I think when we kind of look at you know, the, the long fingers, the reach of Weston A. Price, you know, it's Fallon's book. It's, he's also heavily praised within all of the like, quote unquote, big paleo circles. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, generally he pops up a lot whenever the, you know, nutritional wins, wisdom of our ancestors is being exalted. So, um, let's kind of take like a little bit of a detour into the paleo diet specifically, because I think it's really interesting that it has roots kind of within this movement. Um, So I'm not going to pretend that we can summarize everything paleo here in like a quarter of a podcast, but I think it's important to touch on because it, you know, it is born out of a lot of this history. Um, if you're unfamiliar, I'm sure you're not, I'm sure everybody at this point is not unfamiliar, but a lot of times I think we kind of have like an idea of what something means without the details. The main idea behind the paleo diet is that our bodies have not adapted quickly enough to modern agricultural practices and all the capital B capital F big food industry offerings that have followed paleo eating involves sticking to the supposed eating patterns of our ancestors, lots of meats and fish, fresh fruit and vegetables and eggs and nuts. The diet is also quite restrictive. No grains, no refined sugar, no processed foods. Uh, A lot of paleo has very strict restrictions around dairy. Like butter is fine, but milk is not. Um, And also no legumes, no lentils, no beans. Um, I will also add, because I think it's interesting that even within the paleo community, there isn't perfect agreement about some of these details. There are controversial foods like roots, tubers, Oats. Oats in particular are, are have real division within pa- the paleo community, whether they count or not. <laughs> People need something um, to fight about goodness. <laughs> like, bread and circuses. Um, I think likely part of the reason is there isn't there there's no d- definitive answer to the oats quandary. There is no definitive diet in the Paleolithic era, but we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, regardless of the debated foods, the thinking here is generally that eating the way we have quote unquote evolved to eat can help people avoid the modern health problems of living from obesity, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, even acne, rashes. Um, I think it's always important to give our own personal context and bias. I absolutely have eaten paleo, you know, off and on regularly over the last seven years. And I still generally plan my dinners around paleo cookbooks. My approach to this now is like my approach to all foods. I'm not going to use it to restrict my diet, but i fucking hate cooking and if I can have a narrow (laughs) approach which helps me look for recipes I will absolutely use it I also have a personal belief in our family. We don't need to seek out any extra sugar or any extra refined carbohydrates because we already find those and love them. So do I use paleo recipes? Yes. Would I consider myself paleo anymore? No, mostly simply because I don't subscribe to any food rules. I just think it's important to be transparent here because if I post some amazing paleo recipe on my Instagram stories after poking holes in the diet, I don't want to be incongruent or hypocritical. There is space to Both be critical and use some of the recipes. Totally. (laughs) So speaking of critical, let's get into a little (laughs) more of some of the criticisms that maybe we haven't touched on yet. Um, And Jenny, I know like you have a lot of strong opinions here. So first, evolution isn't a path from point A to point B. It's wandering. Mm -hmm. It's stumbling. It's constant. We didn't manage to evolve to eat animal products and then just stop evolving 11,000 years ago. We also didn't eat that
1: many animal products because it's really hard to kill animals when you don't have guns. It's a lot of work.
0: And when you're like trying to stay alive generally, right? When you're competing with like mountain lions
1: (laughs) for the, for the meat, like you're not, cavemen, like if that's what we want to call them, like didn't eat as much meat as people think they did.
0: I totally um there's also no one paleo diet but lots depending on the region and the environment at the risk of sounding too much like the eugenicist we talked about at the beginning it is it is it possible that depending on your ancestry there may be some foods that you are able to digest and some foods that you are less able to digest probably, yeah, probably. Totally. that's how it people works. are lactose
1: intolerant it's absolutely <laughs> a thing people have celiac disease it's also a real it's thing it's real <laughs>
0: um i know jenny you've kind of touched on this before but like why the paleolithic era if things were better then why not the diet from four million years ago before our bodies were adapted for eating any meat why not that why not all crickets all the time because that's probably where we mostly got our protein gross actually but but yes yeah right (laughs) yes and then and you you just like
1: died a lot there was a lot of people just like dying (laughs) Like Men not you, this whole lot. thing about like oh do this the way it was then it's like but what you mean when women died at a shocking rate from childbirth
0: like, when I just, almost like, all, all babies died before five like I don't like when people that. had
1: to have twelve babies to have any living <laughs> like lineage no thank you
2: <laughs> yeah that's that's okay I I'd like to not revisit those times like I, no. <laughs> No, there's something to be, to be said for this romanticization of the past, right? Yes. We somehow yeah. think that, you know, such and such and whatever, whatever was so much better then. you know, life was so simple then mm, simple. Mm-hmm. And as much as like your main goal every day was to not die. Right. Like that's simple. That's simple. Like, how like do you know what alive. life was like then anyways?
1: Like <laughs> none of the people saying that are actual, like, I don't know
2: No, it's this idea that we have somehow gotten it wrong, right? In our pursuit for progress. We have somehow gotten it wrong. And really everybody just had it so much better back in the day. Maybe it was back in the day where as a man, you could just willingly literally rape any woman who came across your path because the whole idea was just to procreate as much as humanly possible. Maybe it was, you know, as a man, your wife had literally no voice say rights, anything whatsoever. And so you could just run the show 100% and just, you know, watch her die and then get another wife to take care of your progeny because that's who's going to take over your farm. You know, like maybe parts of that just are really appealing for some people, but uh, not not me. I am not that person. I'm not that person. Do I love the country life? Yeah, totally do. I live it. I super love it. I think it's awesome. I think it's really nice. Also, not everyone can do this. Also not everyone wants to do this. And I don't Mm -hmm. do this because I have some romanticized idea that like my ancestors in the 1800s just had it so much better because I watched End of Green Gables 265 times when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing. And then when you start to see it from that perspective, especially the inflection of sort of patriarchy, men, men had more control and more whatever. Back in the day, you can start to see how it starts to align with fun things like conservatism and the alt-right and Christian nationalism and other so-called movements that also really love the way that men used to be able to run the show. Quote unquote."
0: Well, totally right. I think this yeah. is a great example of what has been deemed, quote, paleo fantasies, one word. Um, <laughs> and we kind of one word. Yeah, okay. I mean, this is a it's like, a, there are a okay. lot of people. Poking holes in this idea that things were better in the Paleolithic time. But I mean, it's kind of this idea we talked about in the Liver King episode too, especially around like exercise, fight sports, right? The idea that we should just be able to punch each other and somehow this is healthier, this is freer, this is more natural, quote unquote, whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean. (laughs) Um, you know, and, and so to that point, like why only the nutrition part of evolution, we're also adapted to be lazy, depressed, to crave sugar and avoid exercise. You want to tell me you put a chocolate croissant in front of a hunter gatherer and she's not going to eat it. You want to tell me you set her in front of Netflix and she's not just going to sit and watch it. Mm -mm. Nope. It's not how this works. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Um, okay. So the final thing that, um, I think is interesting to talk about around this kind of whole world is the Weston A. Price foundation Mm -hmm. co-founded in 1999 by our friend, Sally Fallon Mm -hmm. and her buddy nutritionist, Mary G. Enig. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to quote, restoring nutrient dense foods to the American diet through education, research, and activism.
2: And I'd
1: well.
0: like to know how nonprofit it
1: is because I feel like that term means
0: absolutely nothing. <laughs> tax shelter, tax shelter. <laughs> Churches <laughs> are also nonprofit. You can tell <laughs> from the jets that are traveled in by the mega church preachers. Um, like unsurprisingly, none of, none of the rest of this episode, I don't think will be shocking if you've gotten this far, but the foundation has been criticized for spreading, spreading medical misinformation and dangerous health advice. Um, there are just a whole plethora of issues, um, with like the claims and the quote unquote advocacy work from the foundation, but Mm -hmm. I'm just going to highlight a few of the more batshit ones that I (laughs) came across. Um, one, Blood pressure medication will not lower blood pressure. Hmm. Two,
2: all those studies don't feel like
0: that, but okay. Measles is the only cure for nephrotic syndrome, which is a kidney disorder.
1: Oh my God. Okay.
0: Three, raw milk is safe for babies. And a huge part of their advocacy work focuses on banning soy formula completely.
1: Yes. I think they mean very... breast milk is good for babies.
0: <laughs> they're very hardcore right. against the soy. Yes, Which co- right. brings us to point four. Soy contains anti-nutrients, literally oh. leaches nutrients out of your body from other things. Hmm. And my favorite strep cures cancer. Oh, what? what? If only we knew that. And then everybody who had cancer would just be able to be cured of it I would love to meet these people
1: and be like tell me about the measles like helping the kidneys let's go there I'm I'm ready let's talk
0: nephrons go oh
1: dear like uh
0: I mean Uh, okay uh, most relevant for the times we currently live in and uh, again unshocking if you've gotten to this point with us absolutely (laughs) rulantly anti-vaccine of course they are. I wasn't even going to bring it up because I thought that was just a an assumption. It's mm-hmm. a quote dangerous two hundred year experiment. It causes autism. COVID is caused oh. by five G and is not contagious. It's literally misinformation bingo. Like just
1: sit, sit, COVID sit isn't contagious. I love how that's the thing they go on. Not <laughs> that it's it's like it's not contagious. Oh, okay, <laughs>
0: sure. Um, this I'm just gonna drop this link in the chat um and uh you guys can uh check it out I will link this in the show notes too because it's um so interesting
1: okay it says our anti-vaccination memes they have an entire landing page (laughs) dedicated oh my god and the banner at the top says naturally straight teeth
0: Uh yeah Um, oh so it's feel free
1: to use them our anti-vaccination means feel free to use little known fact 99 research studies support vaccine autism length. Okay. I'm sure they're high quality.
0: So if you missed it, I will direct you to just check out the little note in the sidebar on the right. In the current outbreak of respiratory and neurological illness, the Weston oh A. God. Price foundation extends heartfelt sympathy to all patients, healthcare workers, and those adversely affected. Economically, by public health measures, the nutrient-dense, wise traditions diet can provide important protection against illness and can support recovery and healing.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. my god! Uh, I think the healthcare workers would like you to just know, "fuck you." That's Rage. actually the response most healthcare workers working through this respiratory season would have to this type of content. And P.S. If you don't, if you can cure your respiratory illness, maybe just stay at home then don't come to the hospital for our horrible, bad, bad, big pharma treatments. You got this. (laughs)
0: Godspeed.
1: Actually don't. Please, if you're suffering any respiratory distress, go to your nearest emergency department. We will roll our eyes at you, but we will save your life.
0: Um, so that's about it for today. I think that's all the, the juicy tidbits I have any, any final thoughts about Weston a price and his legacy.
2: You know, I guess it's just the thing that I feel so challenged by in all of this is how everything just seems to get swept up into one big sweeping pile of stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Is it a good idea to eat nutrient dense foods? Sure. It is. It's a good idea. Right. Um, but do we have to also be vehemently anti modern medicine in order to do that? I don't think so. You know, no, it's
1: the, it's the, and right. Like two Mm -hmm. things can be true. Mm -hmm.
2: And this is where I just, I think I just continuously feel so frustrated by the binary that gets created right mm-hmm. the yeah. ad- ad- adjacentness and the binary that gets created that if this is true that also must be true and this also must be true and this also must yeah be true. and uh, just what it ends up doing to people's brains and then by extension what it ends up doing to their health and their relationships and the, the relationships is in, the big thing right? and it just feels so unnecessary you know. Like, if I really genuinely believe, which I don't at this point, but if I really genuinely believe that the healthiest thing for me to do is to eat a steak cooked in butter before my health, not just because it's friggin' delicious, but it for my health, me up, yep. right? yeah. <laughs> then, okay, fine, right? But it doesn't also mean that I have to, I don't know, not vaccinate your kids
0: or- Right. Like, yeah. Uh... It, it's, and it's that extrapolation. And I think, uh, I mean, what I love- but I love hate about this particular topic is, I think it really does come to kind of the ethos of like, what we love to talk about here, you can eat nutrient dense foods, and you can vaccinate your kids. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you can do all of the things and it doesn't have to just be, well, if you truly believe the nutrient-dense foods are the right thing, then you should be serving your kids raw milk and you should be avoiding the doctor and you should X, Y, Z. It's, you can just do it for yourself. You don't have to, you don't, right. Well, that's
1: the thing. You don't have to um, project it on other people. That's the thing I think is so bizarre about this whole lifestyle is that it, it's like part of it. It's this evangelicalization where it's like, not only does this have to be important to me, I have to spread the word. And if you don't absorb that word and come along with me, you're wrong
2: and you're bad parents and the moralization of it, right? Mm -hmm. The moralization of it is really tricky. It's also really white. Yeah. (laughs) Like, please tell me that my Asian Canadian friends who feed their kids a bowl of white rice every day are doing the wrong thing let's have that conversation. You know what I mean? They're like healthy, smart, wonderful, amazing kids. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that.
0: Well, and we've talked on it, but it's also very privileged when you're not, when you don't have to spend your energy in like sustenance survival, then you can start to create other problems for yourself to solve. Right.
2: Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, what I'm really excited for is when everybody starts, um, using all of this anger and energy to start to finally go, wait a second what the real issue here is the system the overall yeah. system oh my god right? get engaged in communities it was <laughs> <laughs> totally totally Ugh. One of these days annika one of these days god i hope so Thanks so much for listening to me middle. We really
1: appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.